Welcome in to a inaugural 2023 no offseason football podcast. I am sorry for the delay. Content is here and there was an opportunity that I just could not turn down with a local uh, football team um, at a local college here in uh, South Texas. And I'm sorry, didn't leave much of a notice, but it was something that I could not pass. Got to enjoy some time on the sidelines for uh, one of the teams nearby and had an absolute blast. Got to learn a lot about the defensive side of the ball. And we'll see if that um, sprouts into anything. But for now, we're here to talk about a 2023 season. Going to discuss some league winners, what we learned, and then let's break down these playoff games. The wild card, although we have a lot of quarterback injuries um, all over the place, particularly in the AFC, still going to be some exciting games and can't wait to jump into those with you. So I appreciate you coming in. Uh, for those of you listeners who have been listening even since um, early 2022, it is the end of the regular season for the NFL. So of course, we started last year looking into the 2022 NFL draft class, and I cannot wait to get into the 2023 rookie class for this season. Haven't gotten into breaking down much, many prospects, to be frank with you, um, but I can't wait to get into it. This is going to be a good class. 2022's class obviously has, has I think, really exceeded expectations for most people. After I started watching some of these uh, prospects, and I, you could just tell these these guys in 2022 were just severely underrated. There is a case that potentially the number one pick was the worst pick in the top 10. Uh, you know, Sauce Garner, Derek Stingley, Aiden Hutchinson, um, Iguanu, Charles Cross, uh, who else am I forgetting? Drake London. I mean, they have all really done extremely well um, with their brand new teams. Uh, but let's get into the league winners. I'm going to start with the most important position uh, in terms of fantasy scoring, so obviously there's a lot of quarterbacks, but it's all about can you nail the elite ones and can you get them at a value? Here's the honorable mention for quarterback before we get to my quarterback league winner, and that's Trevor Lawrence. Finished his quarterback eight, gave you about 18.3 fantasy points per game, and you could have gotten him at the 150th pick. That's basically the beginning of the 16th round in 10-team leagues, and he turned around and became your cornerstone at the quarterback position. 18 points per game um, is, is top eight. That is very sufficient, gives you a solid floor. Trevor Lawrence, ball out, my guy. Have a great sophomore season, and he still has a game against the Los Angeles Chargers at home, mind you, and we'll be breaking that game down here in a bit. But my quarterback league winner for this year is Justin Fields. Quarterback five is where he finished um, at the end of week 17. Of course, we're not counting week 18 uh, results here. So Justin Fields, quarterback five of the Chicago Bears. He was giving you 20 and a half fantasy points per game. And you could have gotten him in the 15th round in 10 team leagues. He finished at about an ADP of 142. And he skyrockets to quarterback five. And another honorable mention here, what I'm calling the pickup of the year, and that's Geno Smith. Finished his quarterback six, just one spot behind Justin Fields, and he was pretty much undrafted in most leagues. So um, what a great pickup. 
if, if any of you got to the championship with Geno Smith, more power to you because you, you were probably loaded at wide receiver or running back. Let's move to the running back position here. Honorable mention before I get into the league winner again, that's Tony Pollard. Okay, I understand some of you who are listening probably had Tony Pollard. He carried you to the playoffs and then he absolutely burned you. That's why I'm not giving him the title of league winner. Unfortunately, the floor just bottomed out for him. He got hurt um, going into the fantasy playoffs. So here's a guy that you could have drafted in the fifth round in 10-team leagues at ADP position of 48. And he turned around and made an RB1 season. Number one overall running back at the end of a 17-week season. That's Josh Jacobs, the running back for the Las Vegas Raiders. And this is one of those things where I think we just overcorrected regarding the Hall of Fame game, the preseason games, right? Josh Jacobs was being heavily featured in those games. And so everyone was kind of worried is, are they trying to put on a show for him so they can trade him away? Maybe we were just overcorrecting in the preseason and this guy was just going to ball out. Contract year, fifth-year option was already not going to be picked up in advance. So Josh Jacobs said, you know what? You're not going to pay me for my fifth-year option as a former first-round pick. I'm going to ball out so that way someone else can pay me. And so he turned around and gave you 16.9 fantasy points per game. Uh, What about the pickup of the year? For running back position, I think the pickup of the year was Jamal Williams. Homeboy gave you 17 touchdowns through week 17. That is unbelievable. He gave you 15 touchdowns in the regular season. And he averaged a touchdown per game this year and gave you 12.2 fantasy points per game. Finished as RB9. And he was most likely not drafted. He was RB52 in most drafts, according to Fantasy Pros. So, again, pickup of the year at the RB position, running back position, that is. That's Jamal Williams of the Detroit Lions. Let's move to the wide receiver position where I have Amari Cooper as an honorable mention. Wide receiver eight was his finish after week 17, and he gave you 10.2 fantasy points per game, and you could have found him in the eighth round. Wide receiver 30 was his average draft position, according to fantasy pros, and he just looks great. Didn't matter what who the quarterback was in Cleveland. Uh, Amari Cooper, he did have some games that probably lost you some weeks. He was a little inconsistent, and I think that's kind of what you're always getting out of Amari Cooper is you have the ceiling of a wide receiver one finish, a top 12 finish at the wide receiver position, but he can also bottom out on you. But I think with Deshaun Watson coming back, I think we can feel pretty good about the Deshaun Watson-Amari Cooper connection moving forward in Cleveland. So that leads to my wide receiver league winner, and that's Jalen Waddle of the Miami Dolphins. He finishes wide receiver seven for you. He's giving you 11.2 fantasy points per game, and you could have got him in the sixth round in 10-team leagues, according to Fantasy Pros, where they say that his average draft position was 52. Wide receiver 19, and he jumps you 12 spots all the way to wide receiver seven. Having Tyreek Hill did not matter. Jalen Waddle, the Mike McDaniel offense, Tua, they thrived. So Jalen Waddle, for all of you who picked him up in the sixth round or later, props to you. You probably made the fantasy playoffs just with him alone. And what about Amari Cooper? Going back to him real quick is I feel like the Dallas Cowboys should really go out and try to trade for him. He's the type of receiver that the Cowboys are missing. I can't say that with a straight face. Uh, Let's move on to the tight end position. Um, I think the obvious answer is 
you know, even if you got him in the second round. I think Travis Kelsey was a league winner for you. He was averaging, um, what is it, 12.7 fantasy points per game. That does not sound right at all. 12.7. I'm going to have to pause this real quick. Kelsey, yeah, 12.7 fantasy points per game. I didn't know it was that low. Uh, That is definitely below um, RB1, definitely below wide receiver one. So, you know, you might want to keep that in mind when you go into your drafts for the 2023 season is, you know, it does matter to have an elite tight end to to win your fantasy league, but you might not want to overpay now. I think Travis Kelsey was a great pick last year in 2023, and now you're going to be paying much more like a top eight pick for Travis Kelsey is what I would project people to kind of overcorrect and be like, oh, well, let's, let's make sure we're still keeping the number one target for the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes when in reality, you know, Jalen Waddell, was averaging 11.2 fantasy points per game, and you can get him a lot later. Kelsey's only giving you 12.7, although at a position where you can only start one player. Then we start talking about discrepancies of, you know, having one tight end, so you want to have the one that scores the most. Speaking of tight ends, I have an honorable mention here. He was undrafted, and that's Taysom Hill. Kind of a cheat code because he did play like a quarterback for, uh, for a, a major part of the regular season where he was going for rushing touchdowns, uh, running the ball hell of a lot more than catching it. So, you know, we're kind of teetering that line if he's a tight end or not. He did finish as tight end two in PPR leagues. He's a little inconsistent. He had the one game of 34.1 points. So if you take that one away, he really only averaged 6.8 fantasy points per game, which would have been closer to like tight end five, tight end six. So he still could have really helped you win your league. Uh, But yeah, he had a 34-point fantasy point game in week five. So if you take that out, he probably burned you for most of the year. But if you had Travis Kelsey, I mean, you most likely made the playoffs. You most likely didn't have to spend a first-round pick on him, and you probably got him in the second, like myself, and did wonders for you. So what did we learn? You're right. We've talked about our league winners so far. What did we learn about how to approach strategy in the draft next year. And there's a few things I have. I think elite wide receivers are just going to be elite regardless of who is around them. Um, This does not consider quarterback play. Uh, I'm assuming quarterback play is at least half decent here. Looking at these teams and these wide receiver duos is the quarterback play was pretty solid or above average, right? So a prime example is our league winner, Jalen Waddell. Tyreek Hill joined the Miami Dolphins in the offseason in a big trade with the Kansas City Chiefs. Did that matter to Jalen Waddle? I guess we all thought it would matter a little bit more, when in reality it didn't. Jalen Waddle is elite regardless of the production for Tyreek Hill and the Miami Dolphins offense. So I just don't think that matters. What about T. Higgins and Jamar Chase? This is a continuous offense Neither of these guys were added in the offseason. They were teammates before, um, even at the collegiate level. And so, you know, Higgins and Chase, although it felt like most of the time if one of them had a big week, the other one kind of had a mid to below average week. And so it was kind of one or the other. But in a sense, if you drafted one of them, you were happy with that investment. They both had their great wide receiver one weeks, and they could both thrive in this offense without having to kill each other long-term over the entire season. Devontae Smith, 
ended the season extremely well, had some, you know, weeks during the middle of the season where it felt like you were starting him as your wide receiver too. He was kind of burning you a little bit, but it didn't matter. I think Devontae Smith, he broke a thousand yards as well. So regardless of AJ Brown being added in the offseason, being traded essentially for Traylon Burks in that first round pick during the 2022 NFL draft, Devontae Smith it did not matter to him. Elite wide receivers are going to remain elite regardless of who is on the other side of that offensive formation. I think those receivers, you just want to take the cheaper of the two. Um, you know, I haven't really dug into draft strategy yet for 2023, but hey, that's something that we've really learned is elite wide receivers will continue to be elite until proven otherwise. Maybe we're putting, and this is point number two, maybe we're putting a little too much emphasis into the preseason, how many snaps someone is getting, or as opposed to how many snaps they're not getting. I think Josh Jacobs proved this wrong. Um, it looked like he was going to be traded. Everyone had bought into that narrative, and instead you could have gotten him in what, round five, and you would have landed the RB1 on the season. Last thing here, running backs. Their average points per game continue to be higher than the wide receiver one. So the uh, running back one, the top four RB1s scored more fantasy points per game than Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver one. For example, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, and Christian McCaffrey, all four of those running backs averaged more than Justin Jefferson on a per-game basis. RB5, Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns, tied Justin Jefferson with 14.8 fantasy points per game. Do whatever you want with that information, whether you think that means you should be targeting running backs a little bit more, at least the top heavy ones, the workhorse, um, and, and those who are going to be at the top of the draft, are more likely to outscore the wide receiver one on a per-game basis for that season. You know, tight ends obviously being at the very bottom, quarterbacks being at the very top, which is why we're able to wait on quarterback, right? There's a little bit of value there. But again, the top four running backs averaging more fantasy points per game than the wide receiver won this season. Playoff preview. All right, so we've talked league winners. We've talked what we've learned a little bit preliminary-wise going into the 2023 fantasy drafts. Let's talk about these playoffs. And what a season it was. It was great um, catching some red zone throughout the season. Now these games matter. Win or go home, let's talk these playoff wildcard games. This is one of my favorite games. I think that this game is going to be a lot better than people expect it to be. In fact, I think this game is going to be better than Vegas expects it to be. Vegas has Seattle at San Francisco as a nine and a half point underdog, um, at least last night when I last checked. They were a nine and a half point underdog. And let me tell you a little bit why I think that game should be a little bit closer. Geno Smith against the 49ers defense this season. They've played twice. This is going to be their third and final matchup. He's 58 for 79, 533 yards, granted only one passing touchdown three interceptions, and a 3.5 turnover-worthy play rate. That is not good. Now, as far as completion percentage, 58 of 79, 533 yards, that's extremely efficient, but he's got to take care of the football. Three interceptions and a 3.5 turnover-worthy play is just way too high. He has a 2.6 average time to throw. 
versus the 49ers. So obviously the 49ers want to get to Geno Smith, want to make him uncomfortable, and that's how they're going to have to win. If San Francisco wants to win as a nine and a half point uh, favorite at home, the defense is going to have to continue to take care of Brock Purdy and let Brock Purdy run the ball out. Speaking of Brock Purdy, here's how he's been against Seattle. He didn't play them um, earlier in the season. Of course, uh, Trey Lance, Jimmy G were still playing then. So in week 15, Brock Purdy played the Seattle Seahawks at home again, 19 of 28, 237 yards, two touchdowns through the air, no interceptions, and a 3.2% turnover-worthy play. He had a little bit more time to throw, extended plays a little bit longer with a 3.01 seconds average time to throw, okay? So, you know, to me, the key to this game is going to be, can Seattle limit the big play? Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, this offense is all about getting your ball to your playmakers and letting them kill that kill the defense yards after the catch. It's all about efficiency. They're not going to make Brock Purdy throw bombs and make them kill them that way. Of course, Seattle would love to see if Brock Purdy could beat them that way because I don't think he can. But the Kyle Shanahan offense, the Mike McDaniel offense, it's all about can we get into the flats, can we spread them thin make them win their one-on-ones outside of the numbers. And I think that's what we're going to see from Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense today. So if Seattle can limit, if they can limit the big play, I think they can cover nine and a half points pretty easily. Um, And that's because I think Geno Smith is just a, a better quarterback than Brock Purdy. I mean, I think if you put any quarterback who's currently starting in the NFL in San Francisco situation, I think they all thrive at Brock Purdy's level, if not better. Right now, I think Geno Smith is playing a hell of a lot better than Brock Purdy. And to me, quarterback play in the playoffs is probably more important than coaching. So at this point, I'm going to take Seattle to cover nine and a half points in San Francisco, but I don't expect them to win. I think San Francisco is going to pull this one out close, but I do expect Seattle again to cover nine and a half points. Let's stay with a team on the West Coast, except the Los Angeles Chargers are traveling to the other side of the United States, going to Jacksonville, Florida, where they're facing an uphill battle. Vegas has Jacksonville as a a two-and-a-half-point home underdogs against Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. This is my favorite quarterback matchup and probably everyone's favorite quarterback matchup going into wildcard weekend. Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, This is going to be all about the quarterbacks, what they can do, and how they can command opposing defenses. Mike Williams is out with a back injury. Don't want to get much into the politics and Staley, you know, making comments and starting basically all of his starters in week 18 when he probably shouldn't have obviously made a bonehead mistake and not going to get into what he has said about it or what he should have said. But moving forward, no Mike Williams. Trevor Lawrence against the Los Angeles Chargers in week three. This is the last time this team has met, and it was this season in Los Angeles. This time they're going to be in Jacksonville. So what did Trevor Lawrence do in week three? 29 of 40 passes, 264 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and had an average time to throw of 2.26 seconds. And I, and I, I throw that out there because I think the time to throw here in this game is going to be extremely important for both quarterbacks. What about Justin Herbert against Jacksonville in week three? 25 of 48 pass attempts, 
297 yards, one touchdown, one pick, and 2.9 seconds as an average time to throw. To me, here's the key to this game. The Los Angeles Chargers pass rush has to get to Trevor Lawrence. They have to knock him out of his comfortability and this continuous offensive line. This offensive line is playing extremely well, even with some injuries that they've had earlier in the season. And Trevor Lawrence is on an absolute streak. He's on a tear ever since destroying the Cowboys' uh, hopes of being a division winner in, I don't remember what week that was, but when they beat them in overtime, Trevor Lawrence has been going off since then. And in fact, I don't think the Jags have lost since that game. So I think the Jags are going to switch to a much more of a quick passing game, uh, and which means ETN might be used more in a receiving uh, ability than we've seen all season. Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, obviously are going to be heavily involved. I think if Los Angeles wants to control this game, they have to get to Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence is really starting to feel himself. And if he starts getting those passes out quickly to Evan Ingram or Christian Kirk, let them control the defense and make them make the defense chase those uh, playmakers. I think Los Angeles is in deep trouble if they let that happen. The pass rush for the Chargers has to get to Trevor Lawrence and make him uncomfortable. Let's move to Buffalo, Miami. Skylar Thompson in the rookie quarterback out of Kansas State. Tua Tagovailoa out. He's been struggling with those concussion issues all year. I think, obviously, this is the right thing to do for Miami. You want to keep your franchise quarterback nice and healthy, not only for the long term, but for his own personal and quality of life. This has been an issue all year. I um, I applaud the Miami you know franchise for taking care of Tua this way after I from what looked like it was being handled poorly in the beginning. Look, this game is not going to be close. 13 and a half point favorites at home for Buffalo. I think that's right. I think that Buffalo still covers. I think they're going to win by a touch, two touchdowns or more. And the quarterback play, this is probably the biggest disparity in the two quarterbacks that we're about to see this wildcard weekend. And I think the uh, discrepancy between Josh Allen and Skylar Thompson is even bigger than... Huntley to Joe Burrow. Look, I don't think Miami has much of a chance here. Um, much like Jacksonville, they're going to have to implement some type of short game for Skylar Thompson in order to get the ball to Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. Um, but I just don't think that the defense for Miami is going to be able to hold up against Buffalo in January in order to give Skylar Thompson, Mike McDaniel, a chance to win this game. Because at the end of the day, still got to score more points than the other team. Let's move and keep it cold, but let's move to an indoor facility here in Minnesota where the Giants are a three-point underdog against the Vikings. Okay, This was a close game that we just saw in Week 16. Daniel Jones in that game in Week 16, 31 of 45 pass attempts, 337 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. But... 3.9% turnover-worthy play percentage with 2.88 seconds to throw on average. He also killed them a little bit on the ground with two explosive runs, four rushes for 34 yards. Look, that's a pretty solid stat line for Daniel Jones. Um, Is this what I think it takes for him to win this game? I do. Um, I don't think they expect Daniel Jones to really throw for more than two touchdowns. Saquon Barkley on the ground, going to be able to take care of business, should be able to carve up this Vikings run defense, 
And look, we'll get to that key on how New York can win this game, but let's go back to Kirk Cousins' performance in Week 16 against this Giants defense. 34 completions out of 49 pass attempts, 299 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, 1.9% turnover-worthy play. 1.9%. Kirk Cousins taking care of the ball against the Giants. I think in order for them to win this game, they need to do that again. The Giants, here's your key. You want to run the ball. You want to control the clock. Keep Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins off of this field. And you have to be able to deny Jefferson and Dalvin Cook of explosive plays or you'll never be able to catch up. Brian Dable, implement a short passing game for Daniel Jones. and I don't think they're going to account for him for much, so I think he's going to be really important as a rusher um, in this game, Daniel Jones that is, and the Vikings. They're just going to have to force Daniel Jones to have him beat them with his arm. Don't want to have to chase him around while he rushes for 30, 40, 50 yards and a potential rushing touchdown. Keep Daniel Jones contained in that pocket. Make him beat you deep, and I think the Vikings will take care of this. I think they cover at home with three points. Baltimore at Cincinnati, they're an eight-and-a-half-point underdog. Baltimore, that is. Lamar Jackson is out. Would he be playing, though, if he was currently signed to a contract with the Baltimore Ravens? I think so. I think that Lamar Jackson would probably be leaning more of playing, risking injury, further injury to his ankle for the company and for the business of the Baltimore Ravens if he was signed. And I think the fact that he's not signed made this decision a little bit easier for him on top of him being injured is why risk it any further if he has a chance of getting paid by either the Ravens or someone else this offseason. And guard Alex Kappa is out for the Cincinnati Bengals. Here's the key. For Baltimore, it's the defense. Look, you have you have to knock Joe Burrow off of his comfort level. Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence are some of the hottest quarterbacks in terms of their streak right now. They're playing extremely hot. They're playing on fire at this time. You have to knock them off their comfort zone in order to get there. Baltimore defense, you're going to have to limit these big plays by Jamar Chase, by T. Higgins, and by Joe Mixon. It's a lot of firepower. I don't think Baltimore's defense can do it. It's a young defense, but it's still very good. It's very young in the secondary and beyond, and I just don't think they can keep it all in front of them. I'm going to take the offense with Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, and I don't think the Baltimore defense is going to knock uh, Burrow out of his comfort zone, although I think that is their way of covering the 8.5-point spread. And the final game of Wild Card Weekend, the game that a lot of people have their eyes on, and that is the Dallas Cowboys, a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against Tampa Bay in Florida. The Cowboys, you ready for this, are 0-7 against Tom Brady all time. Since Brady has joined the league, he has owned the Dallas Cowboys. He has not flinched at the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, Dak Prescott finally gets to play a full game against the Bucs this year. Of course, in week one, had the injury, sat out for, I believe, five to six games. How did he do in that game, though? I think he went out in the third quarter. 16 completions of 32 attempts, 158 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. Look, he wasn't playing well. 
I don't think they were going to win that game regardless. Dak, this game is all on your shoulders. No one else's. You control the destiny for the Dallas Cowboys. Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they're going to do their thing. But I don't think that there's any offense in this league that can outscore, besides maybe the Chiefs, that can outscore the Dallas Cowboys when they're clicking on all 12 cylinders. But right now, no one is confident in that. They all played, and by the Cowboys, when I say all, their starters all played in Week 18 and folded against a rookie quarterback taken in the fifth round in Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders. Dak, you got to show up for this game if you want to be any part of the Cowboys' legacy. A lot of pressure sits on Dak Prescott for not only this game, but for his legacy as a Dallas quarterback. And who does he have to do it against? Unfortunately, it is Tom Brady. I think there's a lot of people on the hot seat here as far as coaching uh, whoever loses his game. I think, um, you know, obviously Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, their jobs are fine. But as far as the coaching level, there is a, you know, a lot of heads that could potentially roll if you lose early on for both of these franchises. What's the key to this game? Of course, like I said, it's all on Dakota Prescott's play. Both the defenses are going to be fine. They're going to get theirs. Both sides are going to get a few sacks. Probably going to get an interception on both sides. But it's all about, it might come down to who gets the ball last. This is going to be a close game. Vegas knows that. Two and a half point uh, road favorite for the Dallas Cowboys. But Brady, oh my goodness. Since week 17, he's been on a roll. And they sat him in after the first quarter, I believe, in week 18. He has a 5.8% touchdown rate since week 17. 4.4 big time throw percentage since week 17. No interceptions. 80% adjusted completion percentage. You have to stop Tom Brady. This is playoff Brady. This is January Brady, which eventually turns into February and Super Bowl Brady. And I think Brady turns it all the way up for these games. He probably knows the Cowboys have never beat him in his entire career. So it's time. It is absolutely time. I am excited for Wild Card Weekend. I appreciate you guys listening in. Cannot wait for the divisional round and hope your team wins. I appreciate you stopping in for the No Offseason podcast, and I will catch you guys on the next one.